Well, hey, everybody, welcome back to Today's Market Explained, a four-star podcast and media event. Uh, today is the 31st of January when we're taping. Uh, I'm your host, Brian Castle, and with me today, of course, is uh, my regular co-host, Mr. Chris Reardon. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Brian. Afternoon to everyone out there, and uh, glad to be on uh, the podcast and talk a little bit about the market. Well, and here we are. Um, so the big news right now, we just saw revealed that the Fed... Uh, did not uh, change interest rates at all. And they also uh, said they're not going to lower rates until inflation gets below 2%. So that's big news uh, to some, but we've been seeing that all along, Chris, haven't we? Uh, they've said that all along. That's not a surprise, is it? No, I mean, I think the what you have going on right now a little bit is just people are gambling, if you will. They're, they're putting up probabilities that the Fed's going to lower rates at I think right now, that average has been about three rate cuts this year, uh, but that doesn't mean they're going to do that. And I think the Fed's really trying to uh, posture and, and kind of dispel this rumor that they're going to they're going to lower this year. Um, you know that something is already kind of baked into the book. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think um, you know a lot of depending on what happens with inflation that rears up again, things like that uh, could could affect it dramatically. Yes. Okay. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. I, I missed all the introductions uh, to give the breaking news. So anyway, I'm Brian Castle and I'm the founder of Four Star, um, Four Star Wealth. I'm an Eagle Scout, National Boy Scout Foundation trustee, advisor to CEOs and insiders, chief dad to the amazing Quinn and Evan and husband to the ultra amazing Tripti. Uh, Chris Reardon is with us. Uh, Chris is the director of development, master of all things portfolio, I like to say, trading and reports and recruiting, and he still loves his Cleveland Indians too. So Chris, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Brian. Glad to be here. Good. So folks, if you like what you're hearing, please, uh, on Apple iTunes, give us a five out of five and tell your friends. Uh, we're getting lots of uh, listenership and, and that we're getting lots of uh, viewing of the video clips also on all the other social media besides the podcast network. So we appreciate uh, all your support. Uh, we are uh, going to do our traditional show today. We're going to talk about the markets, the economy, and then general things that we see out there. And uh, Chris, uh, let's talk about where the markets are on uh, the six major asset classes. What's up and what's down and what's moving since we last met? Yeah, sounds good. So um, we still have domestic equities in the number one position, so it's still leading the way. And it's actually gained six tally points from the uh, last podcast. It's at 304 uh, total tally points now, so it has breached into that 300 range. Uh, now, which is good to see. Uh, international equities is still holding strong in the number two position. Uh, it was equal, so it unchanged, and it's at 252 tally points. Um, commodities is in the number three position. It continues to deteriorate. It moved back nine points, uh, tally points from the last podcast, and it's at 199, so it dropped out of the 200s um, right now. Cash is in the fourth position, uh, unchanged, and at 147 tally points. Currencies is in fifth at 99 total tally points unchanged and fixed income uh, is in last place still 85 tally points and that's plus three from the last podcast. So, you know, the big, the big changes I would say we're seeing right now is domestic equities, the U.S. equities really continuing to strengthen. Uh, commodities continuing to weaken. Uh, a lot of that could be just due to supply and demand. Um, lower expectations continue to roll out of China. Um, <clears throat> You know, oil continues to, at least as of late in the last month or so, kind of struggle 
oil prices have been lower than I think anticipated due to due to demand concerns and things like that. So, um, you know, I think those are the, the big uh, factors. I would say international equities in the number two position, albeit the, the international equities, the EU, um, Asia Pacific, um, all those regions are certainly lagging the United States, uh, specifically in GDP, things like that, um, especially the, the more developed economies. Um, you know, they're still, you know, growing at, at smaller rates. So, you know, I think it really makes sense. Domestic equities, the U.S. has, for the most part so far, uh, weathered the storm, uh, this inflation storm, if you will. I would say probably the best out of all that developed economy so far. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that's a good synopsis, Chris. Uh, so U.S. stocks continue to, to grow the best. Commodities are off a little bit. Fixed income made a little bit of move, but they're way on the bottom. So fixed income has been pretty rough with all the rate increases recently. And now, of course, uh, you know, with uh, the Fed announcement today, um, you know, we don't see rate increases uh, soon. We also don't see rate declines soon. So we're going to talk about a couple of scenarios here later in the discussion about what the positive scenario and the negative scenario. Uh, but Chris, uh, just getting back to the markets in general, um, we just had, you know, a month where the first two weeks uh, we saw rallies, but they wouldn't break to new highs. So everyone was thinking, well, <clears throat> maybe the market's going to fail and maybe we've topped out and, you know, maybe that's a bad sign. Well, not to be last couple of weeks, uh, they've broken right through. So we're, gone to new highs on most of the indexes, although um, new highs uh, breaking today, but the last new high was in late 2021, right? So a lot of investors are scratching their head and saying, you know, my portfolio hasn't done anything in two years. And, and that would be exactly, exactly accurate <laughs> because uh, the markets basically are about even where they were from two years ago. 2022 was the worst investing year of my career, of 39 year career. And uh, the worst one on memory with the uh, bond market being down record levels uh, and then the stock market being down bear market levels. So it was really a, a really, really rough year. So 23 eclipsed some of that, not all of it. So a lot of folks aren't terribly happy with where they stand right now uh, in their portfolios. But um, there's some signs that things could get better. Um, you know, a number of the analysts, Chris, are saying, well, it's time to get out of the Magnificent Seven. Let's talk a little bit about what the Magnificent Seven is. Yeah, so I mean, Magnificent Seven, um, you know, are the big stocks that really control in many ways uh, the S&P 500. The S&P 500 itself is, is really more of a, a momentum index. They're not equal weighted. So all those 500 companies on there are not equally weighted. Uh, so companies like Tesla, like Apple, uh, Google, Amazon, uh, control a large majority or a, a larger chunk of weight um, and weighting. So that's what really drives uh, the S&P 500 um, up, you know, 20, 30%. It's usually when we get kind of these bubble-like environments where you have these, these stocks that are up 200% a year or uh, very large amounts. Um, you know, it's interesting though, because as I'm kind of saying, when you have a bubble, usually there's some come to earth moment. And a lot of people are saying, you know, when is, when is that going to be for these stocks? And in NVIDIA especially, um, they've held up somewhat well so far this year. Each one's a little different. Tesla itself, I know, has, has really taken a hit uh, from earnings so far. Uh, but, you know, stocks like NVIDIA um, and uh, Microsoft, Amazon have held up decently well. And some of that's because 
you know, what you still have the underlying current really going on right now has continued to be AI and, and the progress of AI and the potential applications of artificial intelligence. Um, and so you still have that kind of engine underneath there. Uh, I think what we're starting to see as more and more tech earnings come out and, and Google's tech earnings came out today is that AI um, is going to take a lot of capital input from these companies. Uh, and they may not see results, if ever, it's certainly not going to be soon, uh, kind of return on capital from them. So, you know, a lot of people maybe had hopes that this was going to be some new defining record breaking and, and just changing the game uh, technology. And in some ways it is, but I think uh, people are kind of coming to the realization that it, it's maybe not as, uh, as much of a game changer as they were anticipating. And it's nowhere near kind of that finished product yet. Yes. Well, and, and so now some people are saying uh, it's time to move out of some of those um, Magnificent Seven. And some of the earnings have come out and they've not been so strong. Google had some weakness. Uh, Meta had some weakness. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Tesla, of course, we're seeing the EV market slow down. Uh, but that stock was up, you know, uh, a massive amount last year after being down 65% the year before. So um, there's been, you know, kind of a bifurcation now that's going on. Uh, relating to that Magnificent Seven, but last year, that's where all the performance was. When you look at the major indexes, all the ma major performance was in those seven stocks. So the average stock was only up about 10%. Uh, so investors who were in the bond market and the stock market, let's say they averaged about a 5%, 50-50. That's a, a reasonable return considering what things really did last year. But then you look at the indexes and say, why is the S&P up 24%? And that's because of those AI stocks in a proportion that most investors would never buy. You wouldn't buy 40% of your portfolio in seven stocks and the other 60% of your portfolio in 493 stocks. You wouldn't design a portfolio like that because you would say that's way too risky. Well, that's the way the index is right now. So is the S&P 500 index, Chris, perhaps a little bit speculative here? It might be. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would say it, it definitely is, especially after the year it had. Uh, last year, I mean, the gap between the S&P 500 and the S&P 500 equal weight uh, is something like 15%. Um, you know, and I'm just kind of rounding out there, but it's a pretty large gap there between that. So what does that tell, you know, what does that tell us or should tell you is that the large majority of those 500 stocks did not perform, um, you know, as well. I think it was something, and we talked about this, I don't think maybe two or three podcasts ago, but something like 80% of the stocks on the S&P 500 uh, underperformed um, the benchmark itself. So, you know, exactly. it's, there's a lot of companies that did not perform there. So, you know, what a lot of economists and a lot of people look at is what's known as reversion to the mean, right? You know, whenever you have this large deviation, a large jump up or even jump down, eventually it's going to have to kind of revert back to some kind of mean uh, measure it's going to come back to earth if you will and um you know i think that's kind of what you're alluding to brian you're getting a lot of people that are selling these magnificent seven stocks because they're expecting that there's going to have to be some type of come back uh coming back to earth moment for for these stocks yet they continue to run or most of them not tesla but the others are continuing to run after a bad day with earnings but nonetheless you know they've been acting very well and so you have to say to yourself where does it end well we've seen movies like this before and the tech boom in the, in the late 90s went on a couple of years longer than anyone figured it could happen. Maybe it's correcting right now, or maybe we're going to have another run 
run for the, you know, for the, for the stars again with those stocks. We really don't know, but usually manias like this go on for quite a while and they get completely distorted. They're distorted now. Although ironically, the S&P 500 is trading at about 20 times earnings. But if you take out those AI stocks with their massive multiples and their market cap weighting, you get 16 times earnings for the rest of the S&P 500. And that's a point, uh, multiple point below fair value. Fair value is considered to be 17 times earnings on, on average. So that could mean that the market's actually a little cheap here, except for those seven big stocks, right? Yep. No, yeah, 100%. You know, I think it's, I, people have, listeners have seen the movie The Big Short. Uh, they'll know what I'm talking about, but people can sit there and anticipate, uh, you know, a collapse or something that's going to happen. And like you said, Brian, I mean, they can go on and on way past what you would uh, foresee as possible. Um, people can just sit there and wait, just expecting it to collapse, expecting it to collapse. And in the end, they could be right, like in the big short, people were right. Uh, but some people went bankrupt being right, just missing the timing by two or three years. So uh, we don't know necessarily when it is going to end, uh, but most likely they're going to have a pullback, uh, you know, at some point in the future. Yes. So as we say, it's over when it's over and we don't know when it's over. But uh, so there's lots of voices out there. Uh, John Rogers of the aerial funds is saying market could be down 10 to 15 percent this year. Now, usually when the market's up, uh, as it is here in the first month of the year, uh, 86 percent of the time the market ends up for the whole, whole year. So the first the first month is a good bellwether to predict uh, up or down for the market for the year. So. 86% chance that the market's up this year now that we've had an up January. Um, Sylvia Jablonski, um, one of the top investment advisors is saying the market is at new highs. It took two years to get back to the new highs. So maybe we're due for a big run upward and there's $6 trillion in cash out there uh, that is earning money market rates or maybe 5% money market rates, much of it. But you know they're gonna look for something else to do as well. So there's lots of reasons why the markets could go up but there's also reasons why the markets could go down. We're seeing layoffs in the economy. Um, employment is generally held up, but we're seeing more accelerating layoffs right now. We're seeing uh, all the war activity in the Middle East and other areas of the world, um, you know, starting to affect things. The battling in the Red Sea to get through those ports are affecting supply chains for Tesla, for example. So anyway, it's a very strange time. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the economic indicators. Um, Bitcoin is, is at a recent high as well. Not an all-time high, but that's starting to move. And gold is starting to move upward. So those usually don't go the same way. Uh, Disney is down big uh, on too much, basically too much woke activity. Uh, they were getting political and, and the market finally said, no more of this. And it hurt their earnings dramatically when they brought out all kinds of different movies. And um, so... Uh, you know, the ESG trend seems to be waning here, Chris. That's one of the things that we see. Um, what do you think about the economy here, Chris? You got some good numbers for us? Yeah, you know, I think the biggest surprise from the economic standard that we saw was the uh, Q4 GDP number came in at 3.3%. Um, and what that brought us to for the entire year of 2023 was uh U.S. economy grew at 3.1% or 3.1% GDP. So you know, I think that was a lot higher than what the expectations were. Uh, obviously, there's going to be two more revisions to this. So, um, you know, this is just the initial number. So we'll kind of have to wait and see what, what it ultimately ends up as. But um, major drivers, consumer spending 
uh, was a big one. So consumer spending on goods was up uh, 3.5% in Q4 in 2023. Um, that was versus being down 0.6% in Q4 2022. So obviously a big gap there. Uh, that was one of the big uh, things that picked up that drove that GDP number. And then government spending. Uh, government spending was up 4.3% in Q4 2023 uh, versus just 0.8% in 2024 or 2022 in Q4 2022. So, um, you know, the GDP, the, the economic growth continues to be there. Um, but one thing I will say is the consumer spending and even government spending, you know, one thing to keep an eye on is, is that going to stay steady? Is it going to stay there? How reliable is it? Um, so this is something we've talked about before as far as debt, um, defaults, things like that. Because if, if people are spending, but they're spending on credit cards and just driving up these balances, uh, it's not necessarily good spending. And it's spending that kind of has a, a, a ticking time bomb attached to it because eventually it's going to translate into defaults, uh, which is going to ripple through the economy. Um, similar to what we saw in you know, 08, 09, uh, when people were just defaulted and walked away from the houses, kind of which caused obviously a lot of issues. So um, that's the big number. U.S. retail sales uh, came out. They rose a seasonally adjusted 0.6% in December from November. Uh, that was larger than expected. So we did have, and I think a, a lot of people were anticipating this, but we did have kind of a Santa Claus rally, right? But um, we saw really good holiday sales. Uh, people were certainly out spending and, and shopping for the holidays. So, um, you know, that was a good, it was a strong end to 2023, I will say, and that has carried forward has carried forward into 2024, some of that momentum. Uh, but on the flip side of that, uh, rising defaults. Uh, so Discover Financial came out um, last week and on their earnings call, they noted uh, net char charge-offs. So that's debts that are written off, essentially people that uh, couldn't pay their, their credit card balances. Eventually they're, they're gonna write them off. Um, they're anticipating that to rise to a range of 4.9% to 5.3% uh, from 3. 2% in 2023. So about a 1.5% increase they're anticipating in, in defaults uh, this coming year. Uh, so that's not good to see. Uh, that means that they're anticipating a lot of people to default for those balances uh, to go bad. CPI uh, increased 3.4% year over year um, in December, and that was up from the November number of 3.1%. Um, so the CPI number came out, it was a slight increase, 0.3%. Um, but then we had um, the uh, PCE uh, came out and that was actually down slightly. So you kind of have mixed signals from an inflation standpoint. And it'll be interesting, the PCE, which is the personal consumptions index, that's what the Fed likes to use. Um, and we did see that decrease, but we're starting to see that decrease less slightly. We're seeing that, that rate of decrease um, kind of dip. So it's almost... You know, are we going to see, is that just lagging the CPI? Or are we going to see that re-increase, um, which will be interesting to see what the Federal Reserve does there. Um, so that's interesting to kind of see. And then the uh, S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller National Home Price Index rose 5.1% year over year in November. That was an acceleration from the October number of 4.7%. The home prices are not getting any cheaper. Uh, we had about a month, maybe two month break where we saw home prices dip a little bit. Uh, but now with the anticipation of rates coming down, things like that, uh, we're just seeing a, a continuing to see a frenzy of, of home buying and people wanting to get into these homes. And then uh, 
The last thing I'll mention from the U.S. economic perspective is uh, consumer sentiment, and I think this is very interesting. Uh, consumer sentiment surged 29% from November um, to the end of December. So the last two months of the year, uh, it surged 29%, which is the largest increase since 1991. Uh, this is the University of Michigan's consumer sentiment survey. Um, consumer sentiment then carried over in 2024, it left 13%. For the first half of January from December. So, um, you know, the one thing I will say, I think we're seeing some good and bad economic readings. I think the consumer seems to be um, being more feeling more positive about the economy. I think um, the job market right now uh, continues to be relatively strong, although, as Brian alluded to, we are starting to see some layoffs. Um, we haven't seen that carry through yet. Uh, but obviously, if more and more layoffs continue to happen, that is going to drive consumer sentiment down um, and there's ultimately going to be a drag on the economy. Uh, so things to keep an eye on there. Um, but we continue to see spending, consumer spending. We continue to see uh, on the flip side of that uh, credit debt go up and defaults presumptively going to go up in 2024. So a lot of mixed things going on right now. Um, but I would say on, on the face of it, overall, I think it's better than some people were expecting. Yes. Um, well, Chris, uh, that's a good recap. Thank you. There's a lot of uh, interesting things happening on the positive side. And of course, there's a lot of things happening on the negative side. So there's always um, every ec economy is a uh, push and a pull, kind of a tug of war between positive forces and negative forces. And then the question is, what does the market react to? What, what does the economy react to? Um, you know, sometimes, you know, in, in negative forces have a larger impact than positive forces. And vice versa. So there's a lot of complicated reasons why things move the way they do. Um, Chris had mentioned, um, you know, the job growth has been okay, but yeah, we're seeing layoffs. Um, inflation is back up and we've seen two uh, increasing inflation numbers. And then now we saw a, a personal consumption number that's down. So that would say inflation is going down. Um, so there's a lot of uh, confusion there too, but um, we had a big inflation number in June of 2022, up to 9%. It wasn't record numbers, but by the way they calculate inflation, um, many of the economists are saying the numbers were closer to where they were in the 70s because they've changed the calculation that it would have been closer to 16%, which is where you know the Fed funds rate got to in September of 1981. So some of the numbers, even though they didn't appear to be as much as the 1970s, um, the adjusted numbers, when you consider how they measured it back then, uh, and they took food and energy out of it and things like that, uh, the numbers weren't too far off from the 1970s. So there's a couple scenarios, and let's talk about those scenarios. The Federal Reserve has said that they would like to lower rates three times this year, but now today they just came out and said, we're not going to lower rates at all until we get inflation down to 2%. With inflation moving in the other direction right now, in the short run, um, we still have some time to, to figure that out. So it's not going to be probably in March. It's probably not going to be in, in April or May, maybe now later in the year as a result of this announcement here. But everyone is hoping for interest rates to go back down, that they spike rates too high and they're going to bring them down to a, a, a lesser level, but still a tightening level, right? So um, hopefully uh, the inflation comes down and the Fed can lower rates back to where they were and then the economy can prosper from there. Now, the negative scenario would be, Chris, if things get worse, more layoffs, the economy gets rough, but because of all the, fun, the, the 
money that's out there, uh, 2.2 trillion in federal deficits, 1% of that, of that uh, spending number was government spending. So there's enormous amounts of cash out there chasing goods. If we go back to inflation going back up, then the Fed might be inclined to keep raising interest rates and either maybe lowering once uh, or not at all and going back to raising interest rates. That would be the negative scenario. I mean, everybody who was around in the 70s might remember that they did have a period of inflation and then inflation started to ease. Then everyone thought it was dead and it was done and inflation was whipped. The Richard Nixon's campaign, the win inflation, whip inflation now. Uh, so by the late 70s, they thought it was whipped, but then it turned around and went right back up. And the inflation uh, interest rates to, to cause inflation to go down got up to as high as 16.9% September of 1981 on the federal funds rate. I remember having a 20% money market and a 16% car loan. <laughs> and we thought that was normal. So those were very, very different days than where we are now. Uh, the analyst on CNBC, Rick Santelli, uh, did a uh, presentation about six months ago uh, showing that if things turn a certain way, we could see the Fed funds rate in his view to go as high as 12 or 13%. That would be obviously catastrophic. That would mean inflation has come back, the economy would be slowing down, and we'd be raising rates, not lowering rates, uh, to, to get rid of inflation. Because you have to kill inflation before you can get the economy going, right? So that's where, that's where we are. So positive scenario, negative scenario. Uh, we'd like to believe in the positive scenario. We think it's a higher probability but we have to be ready in case something else happens. Um, and uh, just for the record, inflation is up since January of 21 when Biden take, took office 17% overall, food up 33%, shelter up 18, and all energy in general is up over 32%. So just to get back to where we were price-wise, we'd have to see 30% or so deflation in certain areas of these commodities. Normally, inflation in a two-year period of time at 2% would be up maybe 4%, right? There's always normally some inflation. 2% inflation is the target. So let's say we had target inflation would be up 4%. Instead, overall, we're up 17.6. So that's pretty catastrophic. So it'd be great to see that turnaround. Um, so we watch, Chris, and we wait, and we see what happens. And uh, we'll see. Um, the Fed has been saying the same thing all along but people got a little bit excited last fall and ran the stock market up, but they've been saying, we're not gonna lower rates until inflation gets to 2% or below. And they just said the same thing. So it wasn't really a surprise, but it was a surprise to the market because everybody was hopeful, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, yeah, everyone's, yeah. In some ways you have some underlying currents within the market. And I think people were making bets on three or a March Hike and, and obviously, I think with the new posturing, those bets have gone out the window. And it's probably going to push to, like you said, Brian, maybe July or um, you know August, kind of the end of the first half as maybe the potential for a first uh, rate drop. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, there's a lot that could happen in the next couple months that could drastically change, um, you know, change that view. If we have you know, we've talked about layoffs. If we have a massive hit to the economy, you know, if we have this a crash or something that were to occur, that's going to put pressure on the, the Fed to uh, lower rates again. Um, you know, maybe they do away with the, the 2% and they, they say, all right, 3% is fine and we're there. So um, there's a lot that could still happen. So I, I think that there's still a lot in play right now. Um, and I think no one really knows what's going to happen. It's just kind of a wait and see environment, really. Yes. But well, we're optimistic. Um... 
uh, one, one fact about what we're seeing in the world uh, that I'd like to talk about shows the American system uh, being better than most other systems, capitalism, freedom, individual action, those kinds of concepts that lead the American democratic capitalistic system. Um, so um, we've seen China uh, be getting very aggressive trying to take over the world in many ways. They took over Hong Kong. They're threatening to go into Taiwan. Uh, they think they're better than America. Well, uh, they were pushing their real estate market so much, Chris, in the What We See Out There segment, I wanted to talk about China and Evergrande. So Evergrande is a major real estate development firm supported by the Chinese government. And they were building cities uh, that had no people and they were trying to move people into the cities. Well, it didn't happen. Many people in China put up money for places that they never moved into or were never completed. So um, after collapsing essentially about a year ago, now a Chinese court has finally said that they have to liquidate uh, the entire portfolio. So that's 300 billion in liabilities in, in, in real estate and only the Chinese will get paid back. So if any other investors from outside uh, the United States, we will get nothing or outside of China will get nothing. But most of the people in China will get nothing, including all the people who have put, invested their hard money for a new condominium and a new building that was never built. Uh, and some things were built, but not filled. So, um, you know, you can like the, uh, the products of capitalism, um, but you also have to put up with the individual action and, you know, the, the market forces. Many communist or, or socialist countries don't like that. They want to control everything. So they decided we're going to build the cities and we're going to develop the real estate and we're going to tell people where to go. So even though they have a strong military and they're a very powerful country, even they couldn't do it. So the Chinese system isn't working and Evergrande is completely falling apart. Um, so Chris, you, you, had, uh, you had some other comments about uh, the Neuralink and some other things in the, what we see yeah, out there. Yeah, um, well, the first thing I'll kind of note is uh, came out this week, uh, we saw another kind of hit to oil prices as the Saudi uh, Armco company moved to lower its maximum capacity target. So a lot of people are seeing this as a um, lowering of the expect expectation of demand uh, for oil. Um, and so oil, a lot of oil companies have been getting hit as of late as they're, you know, they're the prospect of lesser demand for oil, maybe in 2024 uh, is thrown out there. And a lot of that, I think reversion comes back to China. Once again, as we continue to see more and more weakening information, um, you know, now we have the, the uh, Evergrande uh, kind of collapsing and being liquidating. Uh, there's a lot of bad news and it continues to come, bad news continues to come out of China. Um, you know, if that economy is not firing on full cylinders or they're not building these massive cities, that's less oil that's needed, you know, less there's trucks, less construction vehicles, things like that. Uh, so uh, that's an interesting move. We'll see, you know, if that sticks, you know, how that impacts the oil markets over the next month or two. Um, but in the short term, it certainly brought oil markets down slightly. And then the, the, the last thing I'll mention um, is the first human ever received uh, Neuralink, uh, which is a brain implant. Um, so it's, it's a, kind of a computer chip, if you imagine, implanted into a human brain um, with a lot of crazy futuristic implications. You know, obviously, uh, with where we are right now, we're not nearly uh, to that point. But I think in the short term, what they're really trying to achieve with it is um, to help people who are suffering from debilitating conditions like paralysis um, or any of those conditions that impact um, the body's movement or not being able to move certain limbs. 
so, you know, if they can implant this Neuralink chip into the brain and that allows these neurons to fire or connect that bridge that would allow them to fire, there's a lot of really, really cool uh, implications that I think, you know, in the short to near term uh, that could potentially come, come out of this if, if it looks successful. So, um, you know, you couple that with uh, the CRISP, the first gene editing um, trial that, that just got approved uh, by the FDA. I mean, there's a lot of really cool, I think a really a lot of cool um, things going on in the healthcare industry. Um, and, and, you know, who knows what things are going to look like 10, 15 years from now. It might be a whole different world. Yeah. Interesting, Chris. Well, and another interesting twist in the Midwest market and the North, we had some very, very cold weather in early January. And so in this below uh, zero wave, uh, the electronic vehicles performed very, very poorly. Uh, stories of people with 30% remaining power on their battery, and then all of a sudden their car dies uh, as the batteries weren't prepared for negative five, negative 10 below windshields. And so EVs perform very, very poorly. And there's all these anecdotal stories. Anyone who's watching the national media saw people uh, being interviewed, uh, driving in their car, sitting in their driver's seat saying, I can't move my car. I'm never buying another one of these cars again. Uh, I want to go back to a gas car. Uh, so lots of negativity about uh, electronic vehicles. Um, and we've seen some of that already. We talked about it on previous sessions of this podcast that uh, demand is slowing down for electronic vehicles. Um, electronic vehicles are here to stay, but um, maybe not as many as they were. Uh, and hybrids are probably a little better where there's gas and electric uh, and it can go back and forth. But Hertz is selling 20,000 or most of their fleet of electronic vehicles and buying gas cars. Um, you know, there, there, was, uh, there were anecdotal stories on the news as well, where, you know, people were in the line to get a Burger King and uh, their car died. And there's all this honking and fighting in the parking lot over, and it's all over EVs, uh, ran, just randomly dying. And so um, that has also led the car makers to uh, slow down on building of electronic vehicles uh, so, you know, the charging stations are overwhelmed with cars and it's like a one hour wait, frustrating drivers. So anyway, it's been uh, really a difficult time for electronic vehicles. The CEO of Toyota recently said, and they're a big electronic vehicle company, they said EVs will top out at 30% market share and will never take over the market. Um, you know, his, his idea was the government doesn't need to make the choices. Uh, the people will make the choice. And that's really capitalism. That's what it's all about. Many people are going back to fossil fuels. And the CEO of Toyota said, what really could change everything is not electric vehicles, but hydrogen powered vehicles. Hydrogen um, as, a, as a commodity, we've spoken on this, today's market explained before, if they've already found ways to um, continuous generation of energy using hydrogen, now they need to scale it and make it work in applications like cars and other things. But they've already figured out how to make perpetual energy with hydrogen continuously working. So it's possible that hydrogen could be the next greatest thing and not electric vehicles. Now there's still governmental people, entities pushing electric vehicles, uh, but we'll see how well that goes in the, when the public pushes back, which, which they are doing right now. So anyway, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Tesla stock is down as a result and some of the things aren't working so well. Uh, recently, um, uh, one last thing, Chris, I wanted to mention. Recently, a study came out about the cleanliness of cities. And I wanted to mention this because this is our home city, Chicago. And the city cited the fact that Chicago 
well, there's been some negative press lately and crime and different things. Chicago is right near the top of the cleanest cities in America. And the reason is alleys. Chicago was built at a time and rebuilt um, after the Chicago fire when alleys were being made and many of the Eastern cities don't have alleys and all the garbage is out front on the street, right? So Chicago has more alleys than any American city, 1900 miles of alleys. And uh, like the Western Avenue uh, from the Northern border of Chicago to the Southern border is 22 miles long. And uh, you can imagine all the, you know, literally hundreds and hundreds of miles of alleys and all those, all those different side streets and everything else. Anyway, so that uh, interesting for all the negative press our home city's gotten recently. That was a positive thing. We thought we'd, we'd try to mention it. Um, also for the Midwest this year, I will, I will offer this thought. There are two, the two major political conventions are in the Midwest. Chicago is host to the Democratic convention uh, in August. And in July, the, uh, the Republican convention up in Milwaukee. So that's going to be a big boon to the Midwest economy with hundreds of millions being spent in each city. So it's going to be very interesting. Um, Chris, uh, what else do we have out there today? I, I think that about covers it for, for this week. Okay. Well, we'll see. Uh, big news from the Fed today. Uh, news that they'd given before. Uh, but uh, now the market's kind of digesting the same thing they've said before. Uh, but that's where we are. Um, we'll leave it there today, everybody. Don't forget to check the leadership matrix on fourstarwealth.com and in the um, in the blogging sites. We have an article up there about applying the concept of of a building a better mousetrap to trading. We're talking a lot about AI or artificial intelligence, which is what those seven magnificent stocks are all about. Mostly is an artificial intelligence, and there's so many ways that that will change our lives. Uh, for the positive, hopefully some for the negative, but mostly for the positive. And uh, that's one thing, uh, trading, all the traders that write algorithms, well, AI could accelerate those algorithms. So we have an article that reviews all that. And we're going to have more and more articles about how AI will change our life and how the efficiencies of AI will make lead to a, a better mousetrap in a lot of areas, including stock market trading, consumer goods, and everything else. So it's exciting. So don't forget to look at the um, leadership matrix. Um, and then uh, we have lots of podcast interviews. Uh, we're up to our 180th episode right now today. And we also have interviews of financial advisors all across the country and the financial advisors workshop also on all the services, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, and, and all the rest. So thanks everybody for being with us today. Chris, why don't we just say, we'll leave it there. Yeah, we'll leave it there. Thanks everyone for listening and uh, make it a great day. Thanks, everybody. We'll be back again with another episode and we'll see what things look like then. Bye bye, everybody.